0: Thank you for uh, joining us in worship today, uh, welcome if this is your first time, uh, first time in a long time, welcome back. Uh, So however you prefer, if you would, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy. So uh, we are in the middle of a a series we're calling 2020 and we've been in it for over a year and we're just looking for the gospel from one cover to the next, looking for good spiritual vision and we find ourselves in the book of 1 Timothy here this morning. So Timothy was Paul's dear friend and spiritual son, who became the pastor at the church in Ephesus. Now remember, we spent three weeks in the book of Ephesians, and the last, and, and basically the last and most famous passage uh, in this book is uh, the armor of God. Remember Ephesians 6, 10-13, uh, Paul wrote, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And Paul goes on to remind his readers that we are in a war. And the weapons of this war are... Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, found only in Jesus Christ, prayer, and the word of God. And I encourage you to, uh, to read through that if, you, if you're not familiar with it or just to, just to refresh, you can read through that in Ephesians uh, 6 through verse 18. Uh, these are how, these weapons are how we move forward in faith. And as it turns out, these are exactly what Timothy would need as he pastored this church because the enemy had moved in. Now, we get the idea of Timothy that uh, he did not have the same personality as Paul. If if Paul was A-type, he was red, for those of you who are familiar with the colors. Uh, red means uh, he was, uh, let's get this job done, I know how to do it, if you'll just follow me, we'll be fine. So if that was, if that was Paul, uh, Timothy was uh, more... He wasn't A-type and he wasn't B-type, he was more D-type. He was, uh, man, I'll just stay way back here in the background and and you just do whatever you need to do and I'll be just fine with it. Uh, He was young, he was passive, he was shy. And and Paul wrote to encourage him as he engaged in this war. Now it shows that uh, there are strengths and weaknesses with every personality, but God can use any one of them. That is, surrendered to Him. So what was the war? The first blanks on your outline. False teachers had come come into these new believers and they were promoting theories over truth. They were promoting theories over truth. Now, remember uh, when we studied the belt of truth, the, the armor of God. A belt, it keeps your drawers up. It keeps you from being embarrassed. And in this case, embarrassed... Uh, for, by, by falling for whatever whim comes your way. They were coming into the Ephesian church. And so Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 3, chapter 1. As I urged you when I, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So look at that word doctrine. This is the doctrine of truth. This is the doctrine of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, doctrine being what we believe and why we believe it so um, they don't teach any other doctrine but Jesus nor give heed to fables endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith now the purpose of the commandment so that notice that word commandment that's another word for the doctrine of truth and also notice that it builds up or edifies the church so the purpose of the the commandment is is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he he writes that no other doctrine should be taught other than the doctrine of Jesus Christ alone, because that is truth. The theories that these false teachers promoted over truth are described as fables, endless genealogies, they cause arguments, they are idle talk. Uh, So what we know is they were using, these false teachers were using Old Testament law and clinging to their ancestry to claim that they had favor with God over those who didn't keep the law and over those who were not, uh, did not have Abraham as their father. If it sounds familiar, it should because we've seen it before. It's called legalism. And and church, I've told you before, I I hate legalism. Because legalism says that we desperately need to keep rules to make us right with God as much as we desperately need Jesus to make us right with God. And that is simply not true. Keeping rules does not gain us favor with God. We don't do good things to get to heaven. We do good things because we're going to heaven. And in this instance, we see in chapter 4, the rule pushers were saying, okay, God forbids marriage and God forbids eating meat. Any meat. So, you can't be married, you can't eat any meat, or, or God will not. God will just say, forget, forget you. you. You will not have favor with God. I mean, can, can you imagine that? What do you think? Does the word of God say, thou shalt not marry? and thou shalt not eat meat anywhere in it it does not you're you're right yeah so this is legalism adding rules to salvation that god's word doesn't add i don't know if you've ever had anybody misquote you but it's it's kind of kind of offensive say something that say you said something that you didn't, really didn't say I, I think it's probably offensive to god as well in ephesians in ephesus it led to theological disputes you had these these new believers who trusted the message of jesus and then these teachers that came in and said, oh, but wait, there's more. And I would imagine that it had them, probably including Timothy, second-guessing everything. You know, I, I, I thought I understood faith, but maybe I don't. See, this is where legalism gets us. Many times uh, it, it tries to protect the church with what may be good decisions, but when we play the role of the Holy Spirit and force things on people, what were once good decisions may actually end up, hurting the church, and it becomes a stumbling block. Uh, Paul even calls out a couple of these legalists at the end of chapter 1. Pick it up in verse 18. Uh, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage wage the good warfare, having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan... That they may learn not to blaspheme. And it's some pretty strong words. Did you ever think of, of it like that as legalism is blasphemy? The, the definition of blasphemy is to speak irreverently about God. And when we give equal power to our works as we do to Jesus to gain us favor with God, that is irreverent. The next blank's on your outline. No, say nothing with me. Nothing is on the same level as Jesus. Nothing is on the same level as Jesus. So from here, 1 uh, Timothy will give us guidelines as to what the church is supposed to look like. Now, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are known as Paul's pastoral letters. And 1 and Timothy has been called the most holistic vision of the church in all of Scripture. And so, rather than these false teachers, here's what the church should look like. And number one on your outline, it all starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. 1 Timothy 2, 1-6, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now notice right there in in verse 1, four different words for prayer are, are, are mentioned. Supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks. These would all be summed up in prayer. And So let's just kind of take a little bit deeper look because there are differences in them. So the, first, the next blank on your outline, uh, supplication. Supplication is an almost desperate or urgent need or want that we are, are seeking the face of God for. Uh, when, when the big stuff comes our way, we cannot bear the weight of whatever it is, we make supplications. The next blank on your outline, prayers. Uh, We can consider these praise. Uh, Not necessarily requests, but just adoring who God is. Equally as important as supplications, However, most people probably don't see it like that. Uh, If you look in these first few verses of chapter 2, there are reasons to praise God right here. Notice in verse 3, He is God our Savior. The one who saw us in our broken state and did something about it through Christ we are helpless without him we are hopeless without him he deserves our praise notice verse five says there is one mediator between god and men and that is jesus and so in the courtroom of god we stood guilty but jesus steps in on our behalf and applies his innocence to our account and thus we are righteous in god's sight and set free reasons to praise our god scripture is full of them we just need to sit down and soak it up and, and search it out so that we can send them back to God for who he is. The next blank on your outline is intercessions. Intercessions are those requests that we make on behalf of others. When somebody is sick or hurting, we pray for them. That's intercessions. And then the last one, Thanksgiving, It's pretty, pretty uh, self-explanatory. Thanking God for all that he's done. Now, church, look at that list again. Um most people probably don't get past the first one. I mean, if we're we're honest. Most of the time, we probably don't get past the the first one. Um, Because most people's prayer lives, um, if things are going good, prayer is really not on the radar. Not a whole lot of prayer going on. And, And I think that could be part of the reason why God allows difficulty in our lives, so that we will seek Him. And so Paul is saying, I exhort you. Exhort is a word that means to strongly encourage, to urge you, to use all four of these because it starts with prayer. So if we think of a a church, man, if a church isn't praying, we are missing out. We're falling short because prayer puts the correct perspective on who God is compared to who we are. Lord, you are sovereign. You are Lord, you are above everything else, and you are the only one who actually can listen to my prayers and answer me. Nothing and no one else will. Look at verse, verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And it's, it's, it's one of those verses that we might think, he just hadn't put it in there, did not he? Look at this next verse. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Uh, so, church, uh, no matter what you think of the current president or what you thought of the last president, um, any, any in the elected office, as believers, we are called to make intercessions on their behalf. Let that just sink in a little bit. We're, we're called to make intercessions. On their behalf. And the best prayer that we can pray for anyone that we do not see eye to eye with is that they would come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ and that it would be evident in their lives. That would change the world, wouldn't it? Uh, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. It starts with prayer. And some of us probably need to recommit to making prayer a priority in our lives. The next verses give us guidelines for number two on your outline. The roles of men and women in the church. So we've already seen the issue with some of the men. They, They promoted theories over truth. And then they bickered about it in church. And so church was just this big argument. Oh yeah, come on, come to church with us. Come argue with us. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Now, the issue with the women was that they used church uh, attendance as a a fashion show, uh, trying to outdo and impress one another with their fancy clothes and their fancy hair. Uh, And so this is what God's Word is directly addressing here in these verses. And so what we need to remember, the next blanks on your outline. Equal, but not the same. Equal, but not the same. If, If we take men and women's roles in context with all Scripture... Look at Galatians 3, 26 and following. For you are all sons. That's a word that just means children. You are all sons of God, children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And so God has created man and woman equally as important as the other. Uh, guys being male does not make us uh, have more favor than our female counterparts. However, he does have separate roles for us. And this is something that our culture is trying to altogether deny. But the gospel makes us as believers different. Especially when the world around us is contrary to the word of God. So again, God has made us equal, but not the same. Now We're not going to read these next verses uh, if you would like my take on them, I would be glad to share, share you with it, uh, that with you uh, afterwards. I encourage you to read it uh, and, and research it yourself. Uh, let's move on to number three. God's Word moves on to overseers. Overseers. Uh, now, these overseers fall under two categories. For us, it's pastors and deacons. Pastors and deacons, and you can write those down. Uh, so first, pastors, called bishops here in this passage. First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 13. Uh, this is a faithful saying. If man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So church, even today, when a church is looking for a pastor, this is where they should start. And when a church is looking for deacons, these next verses are where they should start. And so before we read this list, uh, church, it's it's been 30 years since we've called any new deacons. And so, uh, myself and the other deacons have been talking, and so, eventually, that is coming. And so, I just want to uh, ask you to be put that on your prayer list as a church. Um, the The way we do it around here is um, we take nominations from the body. And so, uh, can can God lead an entire body of Christ uh, together uh, to to pick a few men as deacons? I, I believe He can, and so. Uh, I ask you to just uh, be in prayer about that because I know that God has, He already knows who it's going to be. Let's look at these verses. Uh, Keep these in mind as you pray. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with pure conscience. But let these also be first tested. Let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers temperate faithful in all things let deacons be the husband of one wife ruling their children in their own house as well for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in christ jesus Uh, so church being a pastor and a deacon is a high calling and honor however uh, my spiritual status does not depend upon a title It doesn't. I don't gain favor with God because I'm your pastor. I only gain favor with God because of Jesus. I do not have a desperate need to be a pastor like I have a desperate need for Jesus. But let me just say this. Uh, It is an honor to be your pastor. It it really is. Uh, The word pastor is derived from the Latin word that means shepherd. And you can write that down. It's the next blank on your outline. In one of his uh, famous I am statements, Jesus said this. It's actually the verse of the day on your Bible app. Uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, And so pastors are uh, to be a picture of Christ to the local church. And and that's why Kevin and I and our our families, we need your prayers because uh, we realize we cannot do this in our own strength. And I know that I have A whole lot to learn. But again, it is an honor to be your pastor. Uh, I picture Timothy wrestling with his calling. Uh, I I picture Satan listing all the valid reasons why Timothy shouldn't be in this position. Uh, Just sowing seeds of doubt. You ever experienced that before in your life? Because that's still what Satan does. Uh, Not just to pastors, to all of us. If he can make our doubt bigger than our faith... Then he wins. So notice what Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you, your youth, but be an example to believers in word, and conduct, in love, and spirit, in faith, and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that you progress, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So, uh, some encouragement for this young, young pastor. Chapter 5 moves on to church membership, and it kind of divides it into several categories. We'll just take a look. The first one is widows, and the key word here is true true so let, let me explain the church is called to minister uh, to what are called true widows and that is defined as those without kids or grandkids uh, there to take care of them and so be encouraged if you are taking care of a widowed parent or grandparent you're doing the right thing first timothy 5 8 but if anyone does not provide for his own especially for those of his own household he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever so some very strong words because God's heart is for the hurting for the troubled for the widows uh, the book of james calls pure and undefiled religion uh, part part of that is is visiting widows and i know that we have many among us and if that is you just know uh, that god has a heart for you uh, and his heart reflects his love for each one of you and and I mean it when I say it, if you ever have a need, please give me a call. Uh, the next, uh, next category is elders. Uh, elders, these are the spiritual leaders of the church. And the key word here is honor. Honor. Uh, 5.17, chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard preaching and teaching. Uh, chapter 6 uh, addresses slaves and their masters. The key word here is respect keyword is respect Uh, these are some of these categories are some of what made up this early ephesian church membership And, and it shows us that the church is made up of an eclectic group of people listen some of us may have nothing else in common but jesus christ but that makes all the difference in the world paul returns to address some of these same false teachers that we saw in the beginning. He gives this long list describing them and the direction they're headed. He calls them conceited, dumb, um, understanding nothing. They like to argue. They lead to envy and fighting and disagreements. Verse 5 says this, Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in greediness, and pierced themselves through many sorrows. So you're probably familiar with that that verse there, uh, verse 10. A verse that is often misquoted as saying, money is the root of all evil but that's not what the word of god says the love of money is the root of all evil see when we give money and riches the place of god that is evil but when we acknowledge that everything we have comes from god and it is all gods then we find contentment and then we're able to use what god has given us to help others verse 17 command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty Not to be arrogant, uh, nor to trust in in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Uh, Jesus said it like this, we cannot serve God and money. Let's continue to read uh, verse 11. Go back to verse 11. But you, O man of God... Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. O Timothy, guard what is committed to your trust. Avoid the profane, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some have strayed concerning the faith. And so, to this young, timid Timothy, who took on great responsibility as a pastor of this struggling, young church in Ephesus, 1 Timothy was written to give guidelines and order to the church, because those not inside the church are watching. There is no separation between what we believe and how we behave. And we are to live at Christ-centered lives for the sake of the gospel, so that others might see Jesus in us, and come to know the saving knowledge, what he has done. As we go into a time of invitation here this morning, we like to answer two questions. Uh, What has God said to you, and what are you going to do about it?